0: Well, for uh, I've met a good amount of you, but for those who I've not met or who have not met me, my name is David uh, Valencia, and I'm the youth pastor at New Life uh, for all four campuses. And um, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to get a chance to meet you after the service. Um, yes, so today we're going to uh, be talking about Psalm 92. So my question for all of you as I begin is, When is the last time you got super excited about something? Perhaps it was new clothing brand you found, a new piece of technology that came out, maybe even your food order. Um, I know for a lot of my friends yesterday with uh, the San Diego Comic Con, a lot of new Marvel movies coming out, and I just saw it all over social media. People talking about this trailer and that trailer and all these new things that are happening. And I think when we discover something new that we enjoy, uh, we just can't stop talking about it. Uh, There's just something in us that's like, hey, I need to go tell everybody about this. And for me, when I think about, for example, food, uh, there's a sandwich place that I love in Southeast Portland, Eastside Deli. Uh, I discovered it one day in between classes and, I was like, whoa, this place is amazing, and I went there pretty much every week, and every time someone comes to visit me here in Portland, I take them there to try it. Uh, It's something, you know, I enjoy, and I want others to enjoy as well. And so in today's psalm, we're gonna see also how we as the righteous are called to proclaim that which we can also enjoy together, the works of the Lord. When we reflect on his righteous works, it should stir in us a desire to proclaim that which he has done. So the psalm begins with a a reminder that this is a song for the Sabbath. This is a song that was to be played and sung on the day when people were resting from their works and reflecting on God's creation. It's a beautiful thing that together we can reflect on this psalm on a day when we rest from our work. And when we gather in fellowship with each other, edifying and building one another up. The first five verses are a reminder and a call to glorify the Lord for all that he has done in our lives. So it's good to give thanks to the Lord and uh, what I love about the usage of the word Lord, and I say this pretty much every time I talk about this, so you'll hear it many, many more times from me, but it's That name, Lord, is uh, the actual name for God in Hebrew, Yahweh. Um, So this worship is its personal worship that is given not just to any god or any lord, but to Yahweh Himself. And names names hold much; uh, they they held much power in those days. If you knew the name of a deity, you could have some control over it. But unlike other gods and goddesses who were given their names by their worshipers, the Lord is the one who chose to reveal his name to Abraham and to Moses and to the people. So we see that worship is dictated on his terms, not on the terms of the people. So The Psalm goes out directly to Yahweh, um, who is the source of worship. And the next name that we see tied in for God is the Most High to sing praises to your name, O Most High. El Elyon, the God Most High. And this was the title that was often given to uh, Baal by his worshipers, that he he was a Canaanite God who was the Most High. But here we see it linked to the covenant name of God. And so the Psalmist is saying, no, there is no other God who is worthy of this title. Only Yahweh, only the God of the Hebrews. He is the Most High God. It's a taunt to those who worship other gods that their God is lesser than Yahweh. When we come together to worship and give thanks to God, when we pray to him, when we you know blast the worship music in our cars hoping that nobody else can hear us on the road, we are giving thanks and singing praise to the God most high. We are declaring that there is no other God who can compete with him. There is no other God who can take his place. They're all useless. We pledge our loyalty to the God most high. And so we go on to see that this isn't just, you know, something that's done in the morning or in the evening. This isn't, you know, I worship God in the morning, do my little devotional and then go about my day. And you know, I think it's easy for a lot of us to fall into uh, that, that style of living, you know, we we read our Bible quickly before we head off to work. Before we head off to school, get busy with friends and family, come back home and try to relax before we go to bed. And you know, God had those few minutes in the morning, and that was it. Uh, or maybe you're more of a night out like me, and uh, you know, you get up with just enough time to go to work, and then you come home and you relax and cook dinner and. Then it's like, oh, let me uh, get some Bible reading and prayer in before I go to bed. But what we see here is that this isn't, that we're not, we're not called to place God on the fringes of our day. We're called to worship God throughout the whole day. It says, uh, the psalmist envisions, you know, uh, those who praise God to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So this worship of God, it goes from the moment we open our eyes to the moment we close them again. When, when we wake up, we think about the steadfast love of God. We can give him praise because his mercies are new every day. And uh, this word for steadfast love, you know, it's uh, every seminary student loves to hear because it's like, oh, let me show off my knowledge. Um, <laughs> but the word for steadfast love, it, it refers to the covenant love that God has for his people. It's a steadfast and unchanging love that will never be broken. And so this is what, like the first thing that should be on our minds when we wake up. Thank you, Lord, for another day. Thank you that your love kept me throughout the night. Thank you for for your new mercies that you showed to us with the rising of the sun. And by night, when we think about his faithfulness, when we come home at the end of a long day, You know, when the kids finally fall asleep and there's some quiet time in the house, it should be a moment to reflect on the faithfulness of God, on how his mercy and love was with us throughout the day. And for me, there's just something about the stillness and the quiet of the dark and of the nighttime that I love. It's just the world is quiet. And those are good times for us to just think about God's faithfulness and I, and I can sit and you know, I can stare out the window onto the street and I can reflect on how God's faithfulness has sustained me throughout my life. And so, um, and it causes you know, prayer of praise uh, as I go to bed. And in the morning I can wake up and I can think about his steadfast love. And so our worship should be around the clock from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. There is no time that God isn't ready to hear our praise. That's the beauty of, we worship a God who does not sleep. He does not slumber. No matter at what point in our day we come to give him praise, he is there to listen to it. Uh, Isaiah 6, 3 and Revelation 4, 8, they both peel back the curtains of heaven and they show us uh, this image of angels who are around the throne singing, Holy, 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 and they've been doing it since eternity past, and they're going to continue doing it into the future. So every time we sing and we give praise to God, no matter how alone we might feel, or you know we might, yeah, see that there's nobody around us joining in that praise, we can know that we are joining a chorus of angels who never cease to praise His name. And as the, the psalmist goes on to say, we, we don't just praise with our voices, but you know, with lute and harp and lyre, with everything available to us, we can praise the most high. And we see it up here, you know, with guitars and violin and the piano and a trumpet, with everything that you have in you, we should be able to give Him praise. And so verse four uh, gives us the reason why, why we sing to God. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. This is this was, as I said in the beginning, this was a psalm for the Sabbath, when the people rested from their works, just as God rested from His work of creation. The psalmist can look out at creation and rejoice by what God has created, and all of us here can relate. We live in the Pacific Northwest. Everybody goes on a hike every week. Um, and you know you just see it. Everybody you start up in the morning and you just go for a couple miles. Um, and once you get to like, that, end, that end point, you just stare out and you marvel at what lies before you. You see miles of sprawling trees, you know, powerful rivers just the open sky above you and you give praise. Uh, Maybe you're more like me who enjoys the coast and beach, Uh, but even there, what I love about just standing at the, in front of the ocean is, yeah, I can see the majesty of the, you know, the Pacific Ocean before me, a sea that seems to go on forever, the sky, you know, the, the sky just melts into the sea in the horizon, um, the beauty of the sunset that, uh, the beautiful colors that are there. Um, it's just a glorious picture of what our God has created. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And when we stand uh, in nature, we can be glad at the work of the Lord. We can sing for joy. Um, this past week at Youth Group, I was talking about you know, the web telescope images that came out. And it's just the beauty of outer space that God has created, the way that these stars show us a picture of a God who creates for his own glory. Those stars have been there for generations, and nobody has ever seen them up to this point. And yet it pleased God to create them. It pleased God to design this universe that was so full of wonder and marvel. And we can marvel at it too. We can marvel at the work of his hands. And so contemplating all this, it leads into a shout of praise. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The psalmist is overwhelmed by the contemplation of God's work in creation. The works of the Lord are great. His thoughts are exceedingly deep. And the Hebrew, that is there's it, a repetition that emphasizes just how deep the thoughts of God are. That we cannot fathom them. We can take a peek into God's mind, but they're so deep that we can never get to the bottom of them. And we see that Paul echoes this sentiment in Romans 11:33, when he says, "'Ho, oh, the depths of the riches, "'and wisdom and knowledge of God! "'How unsearchable are His judgments, "'and how inscrutable His ways! "'Thinking on the works of God "'should leave us overwhelmed with gratitude, "'should leave us drowning in His beauty. "'We should be humbled before the God "'who we cannot fully comprehend, "'and yet who loves us with such deep love.' Our praise, our praise from uh, morning to evening should lead us into this place where we just marvel at this God who loves us, whose unfailing love never changes. But then we see that from such lofty heights, we are dropped down into the depths of the senselessness of man. In light of God's work in creation, and of God interacting with humanity in time and space, there are two responses from us. The first response comes from those who oppose God. And so it says a stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this. And the word for stupid is a word that's better translated as brutish, usually in reference to uh, cattle. It's like the brutish knowledge of a cattle. Um, And so we see that though God's work in creation is obvious, the one who stands in opposition to God is seen as having the same knowledge as the beast of the field. Those who do not understand are called fools. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Those who do not know God cannot rightfully give him thanks for what he has done. Their knowledge is senseless. They are like Nebuchadnezzar who lost his mind for seven years and lived as a beast out in the fields. They cannot understand the mind of God uh, or his works. And I think that for That for Christians, one of the greatest comforts that we have in this lifetime is that we can see how God is at work in human history. When tragedy strikes our lives, we can bring our grief and sorrow to the Father who understands and is there to help. When the world is chaotic, we can dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. We take refuge inside of our mighty fortress But those who don't believe don't have the same comfort. They see wickedness and evil in the world and it makes no sense. They can't understand the mind of God. They they don't see his eternal plan. We see a broken world around us where evil seems to be winning the day. Every day you turn on the news and see what looks like wickedness to be prospering. But we know the end of the story. We know that there is a plan to restore us back to Eden, to bring about justice and goodness for eternity. But the wicked do not understand, says the psalmist. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evil doers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. And so the wicked are compared to grass that sprouts quickly. The psalmist shares in the perceptions of Job and Habakkuk that the evildoers seem to flourish. They do as they please, and their lives are filled with ease. And I think we, we can see that in our lives too, in our time, when it looks like wicked men and wicked women are just gathering their wealth and they're doing as they please. And they are living their life seemingly free of consequence. But the psalmist can also see their end. They are doomed to destruction forever. And so he gives thanks and recognizes that the Lord is on high forever, and his enemies will not stand before him. He says, For behold your enemies, O Lord. Behold, your enemies shall perish, all evil doers shall be scattered. And so we see that those who do not worship God as the most high, they, aren't, they uh, aren't just seen as foolish people who don't understand. The stakes are heightened and they are painted as enemies of God. All who do not give thanks to God for his works are those who stand against him, are those who stand against his eternal plan. When it comes to God's kingship, There is no Switzerland. There is no neutrality. You are either under God's kingship or you are under another kingdom. And and the Bible shows us the, the reality of a spiritual war that is happening. Bit by bit, God reclaims the nations as his. His beachhead was Israel who was supposed to be the kingdom of priests to the nations. And when they failed, where they fell, Jesus succeeded. And the church was established to continue that mission. When we go out to the nations, when we go out from this place, we are going as ambassadors of a kingdom that is here and yet not here. We are proclaiming that the Most High King is on his way back to establish his dominance over the nations. We are telling them that you either stand with King Jesus or you stand against him. And the end of those who stand against him will be destruction. For there will be no kingdom or empire or fiefdom or nation that will not fall under the dominion of Jesus. All the power and might and wealth of the wicked will mean nothing when they face off against the most high. Like grass that is so easily destroyed and cut down they too will perish. But now the the psalmist goes on to compare the fate of the wicked with the fate of the righteous. You have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Verse 6 compares the foolish man to cattle in that they have that same understanding, which is none at all. And verse 10 has a similar comparison two oxen, but we see that it's a positive comparison, that the horn of the righteous is exalted and raised up. Horned animals will proudly display their horns for others to be amazed or frightened by. It is a sign of their strength, much like men with their beards. It is the Lord who exalts the righteous and showers them in fresh oil. And so we see that though the psalmist was preoccupied with how the wicked seem to flourish, he takes comfort that his eyes have seen the downfall of his enemies. Those who stand against God and do the wickedness will not endure forever. And it's something that we can all take comfort in. That evil will not win the day, and one day it will be gone. So he declares that, you know, my eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. I think uh, an important note in here is that oftentimes unbelievers, their judgment against the church is that we are cold and callous and judgmental. And so I would say that, you know, alongside the saints of old, alongside people all over the world suffering, we can pray for the kingdom to come in its fullness. But until it does, we are also called to proclaim the gospel to all who would hear. Because Paul reminds us that at one time, we too were alienated from God. We too were his enemies. We too were the ones who were going to perish, if not for the mercy of God. And so we can pray, and we can hope that evil, uh, evil, Receives its judgment. But we should still go out to the world in pity and love, showing them a better way. And so then, in the next few verses, we see, we continue to see the fate of the righteous. Whereas the wicked are like grass that is cut down, the righteous are like palm trees and cedars. As they flourish like the palm tree, and grow like a cedar in Lebanon, and as someone who grew up in Southern California, I am very familiar with palm trees—long, slender trees. You crane your neck up to see the top of it. Um, they just—they line the streets of California, and whenever I visit home, it's the palm trees that are welcoming home. And the palm tree in olden times was. It was known as the most regal of trees for its appearance, for its usages. And so we as the righteous are compared to that. We are compared to strong and sturdy trees. Trees don't grow as quickly as grass do. They take more time, they take more care, but they are also not destroyed as quickly either. The righteous are sturdy and not swayed easily by what happens around them. When the strong winds come, grass bends and flows and goes with it. A tree, though the branches may sway a bit, it remains sturdy in its place. And so we too can remain sturdy no matter what happens in the world. A pandemic, Racial protests everywhere, an economy that seems to be spiraling out of control. The wicked can panic at what they see happening in the world, at all these changes that seem to be coming so quickly. But the righteous can remain sturdy, can remain confident, because we know that the Lord is sovereign. We know what the Lord is doing in this world. And so the psalmist says that they are planted in the house of the Lord They flourish in the courts of our God. And this idea of planted uh, portrays um, the picture that someone has put that tree there. The tree may have grown out in the wild, um, but now it is being transplanted, it is being put in the house of the Lord. And so we can see that in our lives that we did not plant ourselves in the house of the Lord. We did not pull up our roots and decide to go into his courts. It was the great gardener who brought us in, who transplanted us into his courts and into his house. And what greater honor can can there be than that? Our righteousness does not come from what we have done for ourselves, but from what God has done for us. It is he who has brought us into his dwelling place, into his tents. As I mentioned earlier in Ephesians, we were reminded that at one time all of us here were enemies of God. We were hostile to him. We didn't want anything to do with him. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Those of us sitting here, we are the workmanship of God. We are his his poetry. We are trees that are planted in the courtyard of God. We show the power of God in our lives. It is God who has planted us in his courts, in his house, and it is God who sustains us daily. It's the good news of the gospel that gives us strength every day. We weren't saved by what we did or what we didn't do. We were saved purely by the grace and mercy of God. And so what I love about this next one is that, this next verse is, it says that it is God who sustains us up, even to old age. verse 14, they still bear fruit in an old age. They are ever full of sap and green. A tree that continues to produce fruit is a tree that is good. Twice in the past two weeks, I have gotten the blessing of ministering to senior citizens in the area. And I'm always encouraged by talking with them. These are men and women who have walked with God, many of them for far longer than I've even been alive. And I can see that even in their old age, they are still bearing fruits they are still proclaiming the goodness of God in their lives. They have seen the wicked come and go, and yet they are still flourishing. If you've never had a chance to talk with a Christian who has walked this walk for decades, I encourage you to do so. Sit down and listen to their stories and you know let them tell you of the works that they have seen God do in their lives. Let them encourage you. Because my hope is that one day the Lord should tarry that we can all be in that place where we are bearing that fruit in old age. Where we can command the works of God to the next generation. And together we can declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so today... On this day, as we rest together, as we fellowship with each other, we can think about God's work in creation. We can praise him for another day where the sun has risen. But we know that creation isn't the greatest work that we've seen God do. Creation was marred, wickedness flourished, but God had a plan of redemption. In the person of Jesus, we see the way of salvation. We see how deep were the thoughts of God as evil flourished and godly people throughout history wrestled with God wondering when justice would be restored. God was at work in history through the calling of Abraham to the deliverance from Egypt to the Davidic kingship and even through the exile, God was at work. He was waiting for the time when jesus the messiah would enter the world where he would live where when he would live the perfect life none of us could he would die on the cross and what seemed like a foolish plan gave way to amazement as jesus was raised from the dead and rescued his people and so today we can sing at the works that god has done through jesus we can give thanks that even when we were enemies of god he had mercy on us and sent as a savior, we can declare his steadfast love in that he never turned his back on the people of his covenant. From the moment we open our eyes to the moment we close them again, our lives should be constant gratitude for what the Lord has done in our lives. As we navigate through a world that seems to drift further and further from God, we can have peace knowing that we dwell in the courts of the Lord, and no evil shall befall us the righteous shall flourish because, the source of the, because their source of life is found in the Most High God. And if you're here today and maybe you've never given God much thoughts, the invitation to come is open to you. Enter into a life that is full of flourishing. This doesn't mean entering into a life of ease and comforts because a Christian life is hard and difficult at times. But in the midst of it all, there is a the comfort of a God who is walking alongside us. There's beauty that is found giving him thanks for his works. And so for those of you who have already placed your faith in Jesus, I urge you throughout the week, reflect deeply on the works that God has done. From morning to evening, let your time be filled with praise and worship. And may it lead us all into a place where, alongside the psalmist, we can say, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, just for this time, um, just to be able to hear your word and to give thanks for the works that you have done uh, in time and space. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken us and you have put us in your courtyard and you have let us dwell in your house. And for that, we give thanks. We give thanks that you sent Jesus to die for us so that we know that one day we shall see righteousness flourish on this earth. Lord, may our lives be full of worship, and may our hearts constantly be grateful for what you've done, and may we never take for granted the sacrifice of your Son. May we just be able to continue to build each other up and edify one another. Amen.